0: Chapter nineteen part two of my life on the plains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Following the chiefs rode a second line, only less ornamented than the chiefs themselves. These were warriors and confidential friends and advisers of the chiefs in whose train they rode in rear of all rode a few meek-looking squaws whose part in this imposing pageant became evident when the chiefs and warriors dismounted giving the reins of their ponies to the squaws who at once busied themselves in picketing the ponies of their lords and in every sense of the word masters wherever the grazing seemed freshest and most abundant this being done their part was performed and they waited near the ponies and return of the chiefs and warriors the latter after forming in one group and in similar order to that in which they rode advanced toward the lodge outside of which but within the chain of sentinels stood lone wolf and satana the meeting between the captive chiefs and their more fortunate comrades occasioned an exhibition of more feeling and sensibility than is generally accredited to the indian a brevi of schoolgirls could not have embraced each other after a twenty-four hour separation with greater enthusiasm and demonstrations of apparent joy that did these chieftains whose sole delight is supposed to be connected with scenes of bloodshed and cruelty i trust no gentle-minded reader imbued with great kindness of heart will let this little scene determine his estimate of the indian character for be it understood not one of the chiefs who formed the group of which i am writing but had participated in the acts of the most barbarous and wanton cruelty it was a portion of these chiefs who had led and encouraged the band that had subjected the box family to such a horrible fate Of which major-general hancock made full report at the time immediately after the greetings had been exchanged between the captives and their friends i was requested by a message from lone wolf to repair to his lodge in order to hear what his friends had to say as i entered the lodge the entire party of chiefs advanced to meet me and began a series of hand shaking and universal hows which in onward earnestness made up for any real lack of sincerity and to an inexperienced observer or a tender-hearted peace commissioner might well have appeared as an exhibition of indubitable friendship if not affection after all were seated and the ever-present long red clay pipe had passed and repassed around the circle each chief indulging in a few silent whiffs black eagle arose and after shaking hands with me proceeded after the manner of an oration to inform me what i had had reason to expect and what the reader no doubt has also anticipated that the entire kiowa village was at that moment on the march and would arrive in the vicinity of our camp before dark no reference was made to the fact that this general movement on their part was one of compulsion but on the contrary to have heard black eagle who was an impressive orator might well have believed that no longer able to endure the separation of their brothers the white men who as black eagle said like themselves were all descended from one father the kiowas had voluntarily resolved to pack up their lodges and when they next should put them down would be alongside the tents of their white friends. in nothing that was said did it appear that the impending execution of Lone Wolf and Satana had aught to do with hastening the arrival of their people at the termination of the conference. However, Black Eagle intimated that, as the tribe was about to locate near us, it would be highly agreeable to them if their two head chiefs could be granted their liberty and permitted to resume their places among their own people that evening the kiowa village true to the prediction of lone wolf arrived and was located a short distance from our camp the next morning the family or families of satana appeared in front of headquarters and made known their desire to see satana to which of course no objection was made and the guards were instructed to permit them to pass the lines. Satana's home circle was organized somewhat on the quadrilateral plan; that is, he had four wives. They came together, and so far as outward appearances enabled one to judge, they constituted a happy family. They were all young and buxom, and each was sufficiently like the others in appearance to enable the lot to pass as sisters and by the way it is quite customary among the indians for one man to marry an entire family of daughters as rapidly as they reach the proper age those who dread a multiplicity of mothers and laws this custom possesses advantages to add in a material as well as a maternal way to the striking similarity in appearance presented by satana's dusky spouses each bore on her back encased in the capacious folds of a scarlet blanket a pledge of affection in the shape of a papoose the difference in the extreme ages of the four miniature warriors or warrior sisters being too slight to be perceptible In single file the four partners of Satana's joys approached his lodge, and in the same order gained admittance. Satana was seated on a buffalo robe when they entered. He did not rise, perhaps that would have been deemed unwarrior-like, but each of his wives advanced to him when, instead of going through the ordinary form of embracing with its usual accompaniments on such occasion considered proper, The papoose was unslung. I know of no better term to describe the dexterous manner in which the mother transferred her offspring from its cozy resting place on her back to her arms and handed to the outstretched arms of the father, who kissed it repeatedly with every exhibition of paternal affection, scarcely deigning to bestow a single glance on the mother, who stood by meekly, contenting herself with stroking Satana's face and shoulders gently, at the same time muttering almost inaudible expressions of Indian endearment. This touching little scene lasted for a few moments when Satana, after bestowing a kiss upon the soft cherry lips of his child, transferred it back to its mother, who passed on and quietly took a seat by Satana's side the second wife then approached when precisely the same exhibition was gone through with not being varied from the first in the slightest particular this being ended the third took the place of the second the latter passing along with her babe and seating herself next to the first and so on until the fourth wife had presented her babe received it back and quietly seated herself by the side of the third Not a word being spoken to or by Satana from the beginning to the end of this strange meeting. The Kiowas were all now located on the reservation except a single band of the tribe led by a very wicked and troublesome chief named Womanheart. Although his conduct and character were anything but in keeping with the gentleness of his name, he had taken his band and moved in the direction of the staked plains far to the west of the kiowa reservation however the indian question so far as the kiowas were concerned was regarded as settled at least for the time being and it became our next study how to effect a similar settlement with the cheyenne and arapahoes who had fled after the battle of the washita and were then supposed to be somewhere between the wichita mountains and the western border of texas north of the headwaters of red river it was finally decided to send one of the friendly chiefs of the apaches whose village was then near the present site of fort sill and one of the three captive squaws whom we had brought with us all the chiefs of that region who were interested in promoting peace between the whites and indians were assembled at my headquarters when i informed them of the proposed peace embassy and asked that some chief of prominence should volunteer as bearer of a friendly message to the cheyennes and arapahoes a well-known chief of the apaches named iron shirt promptly offered himself as a messenger in the cause of peace in reply to my inquiry he said he could be ready to depart upon his commendable errand the following day and estimated the distance such that it would be necessary to take provisions sufficient to last him and his companion three weeks having arranged all the details of the journey the assemblage of the chiefs dispersed the next step being to decide which of the three squaws should accompany iron shirt to her tribe I concluded to state the case to them and make the selection of matter for them to decide. Summoning Mawissa, Manasita, and the Sioux Squaw, their companion to my tent, I, through Romeo, acquainted them with the desire of the government to establish peace with their people and with the Arapahoes, and in order to accomplish this we intended dispatching a friendly message to the absent tribes which must be carried by some of their own people after conferring with each other a few minutes they concluded that mawissa the sister of black kettle should return to her people every arrangement was provided looking to the comfort of the two indians who were to undertake this long journey a bountiful supply of provisions was carefully provided in convenient packages an extra amount of clothing and blankets being given to Mawissa, in order that she should not return to her people empty-handed. To transport their provisions and blankets a mule was given to them to be used as a pack animal. It was quite an event sufficient to disturb the monotony of the camp when the hour arrived for the departure of the two peace commissioners i had told iron shirt what he was to say to the chiefs of the tribes who still remained hostile which was in effect that we were anxious for peace and to that end invited them to come at once and place themselves and their people on the reservations where we would meet and regard them as friends and all present hostilities as well as reckoning for past differences should cease but if this friendly proffer was not accepted favorably at once we would be forced to regard it as an indication of their desire to prolong the war, in which event the troops would be sent against them as soon as practicable. I relied not a little on the good influence of Mawissa, who, as I have before stated, was a woman of superior intelligence and was strongly impressed with a desire to aid in establishing a peace between her people and the white man. Quite a group composed of officers, soldiers, teamsters, guards, and scouts, assembled to witness the departure of Ironshirt and Mawissa, and to wish them Godspeed in their mission. After Ironshirt and Mewissa had seated themselves upon their ponies and were about to set out, Mawissa, suddenly placing her hand on the neat belt which secured her blanket about her, indicated that she was unprovided with that most essential companion of frontier life, amuchka, as she expressed it, meaning a hunting knife. Only those who have lived on the plains can appreciate the unpurchasable convenience of a hunting knife. Whether it is to carve a buffalo or a mountain trout, mend horse equipments, or close up a rent in the tent, there is a constant demand for the services of a good hunting knife. Moissa, smiled at the forgetfulness which had made her fail to discern this omission sooner but i relieved her anxiety by taking from my belt the hunting knife which hung at my side and giving it to her adding as i did so that i expected her to return it to me before the change in the moon that being fixed as the extreme limit of their absence when all was ready for the start, Iron Shirt rode first, followed by the pack mule, which he led, while Mawissa, acting as driver to the latter and well mounted, brought up the rear. As they rode away amid the shower of good wishes which was bestowed upon them and their mission, many were the queries as to the probable extent of their journey, their return, and whether they would be successful. For upon the success or failure of these two Indians depended in a great measure the question whether or not we were to be forced to continue the war, and among the hundreds who watched the departing bears of the olive branch, there was not one but hoped earnestly that the mission would prove successful, and we be spared the barbarities which a further prosecution of the war would necessarily entail yet there are those who would have the public believe that the army is at all times clamorous for an indian war i have yet to meet the officer or man belonging to the army who when the question of war or peace with the indians was being agitated did not cast the weight of his influence the prayers of his heart on behalf of peace when i next called mewisa's attention to the Knife. It was far from the locality we then occupied, and under very different circumstances. After the departure of Iron Shirt and Melissa, we were forced to settle down to the dullest routine of camp life, as nothing could be done until their return. It was a full three weeks before the interest in camp received a fresh impetus by the tidings which flew from tent to tent that Iron Shirt had returned he did return, but Mawissa did not return with him. His story was brief. He and Mawissa, after leaving us and traveling for several days westward, had arrived at the Cheyenne and Arapahoe villages. They delivered their messages to the chiefs of the two tribes who were assembled in council to hear them. And after due deliberation thereon, Iron Shirt was informed that the distance was too great the ponies in too poor condition to permit the villages to return. In other words, these two tribes had virtually decided that rather than return to the reservation, they preferred the chances of war. When asked to account for Moissa's failure to accompany him back, Iron Shirt stated that she had desired to fulfill her promise and return with him, but the chiefs of her tribe would not permit her to do so the only encouragement derived from ironshirt was in his statement that little robe prominent chief of the cheyennes and yellow bear the second chief of the arapahoes were both extremely anxious to effect a permanent peace between their people and the government and both had promised ironshirt that they would leave their villages soon after his departure and visit us with a view to prevent a continuation of the war iron shirt was rewarded for his journey by a bountiful presence of provisions for himself and his people true to their promises made to iron shirt it was but a short time before little robe and yellow bear arrived at our camp and were well received they reported that their villages had been under consideration the question of accepting our invitation to come in and live at peace in the future and that many of their people were strongly in favor of adopting this course, but for the present it was uncertain whether or not the two tribes would come in. The two tribes would probably act in concert, and if they intended coming would make their determination known by dispatching couriers to us in a few days. In spite of the sincerity and motives of Little Robe and Yellow Bear, whom i have always regarded as two of the most upright and peaceably inclined indians i have ever known and who have since that time paid a visit to the president at washington it was evident that the cheyennes and arapahoes while endeavoring to occupy us with promises and pretences were only interested in delaying our movement until the return of spring when the young grass would enable them to recruit the strength of their winter-famished ponies, and move when and where they pleased. After waiting many long, weary days for the arrival of the promised couriers from the two tribes, until even Little Robe and Yellow Bear were forced to acknowledge that there was no longer any reason to expect their coming, it occurred to me that there was but one expedient yet untried which furnished even a doubtful chance of averting war this could only be resorted to with the approval of general sheridan whose tent had been pitched in our midst during the entire winter and who evidently proposed to remain on the ground until the indian question in that locality should be disposed of my plan was as follows we had some fifteen hundred troops a force ample to cope with all the indians which could then or since be combined in any one point on the plains but in the state of feeling existed among the indians at that time consequent upon the punishment which they had received at and since the washita campaign it would have been an extremely difficult if not impracticable matter to attempt to move so large a body of troops near their villages and retain the latter in their places so fearful were they of receiving punishment for their past offences it would also have been impracticable to move upon them stealthily as they were then for causes already given more than ever on the alert and were no doubt kept thoroughly informed in regard to our every movement it was thus considered out of the question to employ my entire command of fifteen hundred men in what i proposed should be purely a peaceable effort to bring about a termination of the war and so large a force would surely intimidate the indians and cause them to avoid our presence i believe that if i could see the leading chiefs of the two hostile tribes and convince them of the friendly desire of the government they might be induced to relinquish the war and return to the reservation. I have endeavored to show that I could not go among them with my entire command, neither was I sufficiently orthodox as a peace commissioner to believe what so many of that order preach, but fail to practice. That I could take an olive branch in one hand, the plan of a schoolhouse in the other, and unaccompanied by force visit the indian villages in safety my life would certainly have been the price of such temerity. too imposing a force would repel the indians too small a force would tempt them to murder us even though our mission was a friendly one after weighing the matter carefully in my own mind i decided that with general sheridan's approval i would select from my command forty men two officers and a medical officer and accompanied by two chiefs little robe and yellow bear who regarded my proposition with favor i would set out in search of the hostile camp there being but little doubt that with the assistance of the chiefs i would have little difficulty in discovering the whereabouts of the villages while the smallness of my party would prevent unnecessary alarm or suspicion as to our intentions from my tent to general sheridan's was but a few steps and as soon as i submitted my proposition to the general who from the first was inclined to lend his approval to my project after discussing it fully he gave his assent by saying that the character of the proposed expedition was such that he would not order me to proceed upon it but if i volunteered to go he would give me the full sanction of his authority and every possible assistance to render the mission a successful one in conclusion urging me to exercise the greatest caution against the stratagems of treachery of the indians who no doubt would be but too glad to massacre my party in revenge for their recent well-merited chastisement Returning to my tent, I at once set about making preparations for my journey, the extent or result of which now became interesting subjects for deliberation. The first thing necessary was to make up the party which was to accompany me. As the number of men was to be limited to forty, too much care could not be exercised in their selection, I chose the great majority of them from the sharpshooter men who, in addition to being cool and brave, were experienced and skillful marksmen. My standard bearer, a well-tried sergeant, was selected as a senior non-commissioned officer of the party. The officers who were to accompany me were my brother, Colonel Custer, Captain Robbins, and Dr. Rennick, Acting Assistant Surgeon, U.S. Army. As guide I had Neva, a Blackfoot Indian who had accompanied General Fremont in his explorations and who could speak a little English. Little Robe and Yellow Bear were also to be relied upon as guides, while Romeo accompanied us as interpreter. Young Brewster, determined to miss no opportunity of discovering his lost sister, had requested and been granted permission to become one of the party. This completed the personnel of the expedition all were well armed and well mounted we were to take no wagons or tents our extra supplies were to be transported on pack mules we were to start on the evening of the second day the intervening time being necessary to complete our preparations it was decided that our first march should be a short one sufficient merely to enable us to reach a village of friendly apaches located a few miles from our camp We would then spend the first night and be joined by Little Robe and Yellow Bear, who at that time were guests of the Apaches. I need not say that in the opinion of many of our comrades, our mission was regarded as closely bordering on the imprudent, to qualify it by no stronger term. So confident did one of the most prudent officers of my command feel in regard to our annihilation by the Indians, that in bidding me good-bye he contrived to slip into my hand a small pocket-derringer pistol, loaded with the simple remark, You had better take it, General. It may prove useful to you. As I was amply provided with arms, both revolvers and rifle, and as a pocket-derringer may not impress the reader as being a very formidable weapon to use in Indian warfare, The purpose of my friend in giving me the small pocket weapon may not seem clear. It was given me under the firm conviction that the Indians would overwhelm and massacre my entire party, and to prevent my being captured, disarmed, and reserved for torture. That little pistol was given me in order that at the last moment I might become my own executioner. An office I was not seeking, nor did I share in my friend's opinion everything being ready for our departure we swung into our saddles waved our adios to the comrades who were to remain in camp and the next moment we turned our horses heads westward and were moving in the direction of the apache village end of chapter nineteen part two